Welcome to FYI, the four-year innovation podcast. This show offers an intellectual discussion on technologically enabled disruption, because investing in innovation starts with understanding it. To learn more, visit arc-invest.com. ARK Invest is a registered investment advisor focused on investing in disruptive innovation. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. It does not constitute either explicitly or implicitly any provision of services or products by ARK. All statements made regarding companies or securities are strictly beliefs and points of view held by ARK or podcast guests and are not endorsements or recommendations by ARK to buy, sell, or hold any security. Clients of ARK Investment Management may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Welcome to the Bitcoin Brainstorm. Alongside my co-host, Yasin Almandra, analyst at ARK Invest, I'm your host, Rod Rudy, co-founder of Bitcoin Park, community-supported campus here in Nashville, Tennessee, focused on grassroots Bitcoin adoption and a home for Bitcoiners to work, learn, collaborate, and build. We are now on episode number four. And if this is your first time tuning in, let me explain what we're doing here. Thanks again to the support from Kathy, Yassine, and the ARC team. We're taking our monthly Bitcoin topic-based approach at Bitcoin Park and applying it to this new monthly podcast series we are calling Bitcoin Brainstorm. Each month we plan to have a different topic and invite amazing people from a variety of areas within the Bitcoin community. Our aim is simple, drive conversation around Bitcoin. And after going deep into Bitcoin with the first two episodes, building and scaling and AI and Bitcoin respectively, and with our third episode, which was an absolute blast to have Dr. Art Laffer join us, we dove into some of the misconceptions associated with Bitcoin. So now we have 60 minutes approximately, and we'll be covering a lot. And I could not be more excited as I've used or used the, their pro- Bitcoin products and services almost daily in my personal and professional lives. So let's do some quick introductions for everyone and then jump right in. Uh, joining Yasin and I this month, we have Alex Leishman, co-founder, CEO, and CTO of River, a Bitcoin financial services firm. Alex, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure to be here. Absolutely, man. Thank you. And Des Dickerson, CEO of Thunder Games, a Bitcoin game development company with the mission to make it easy to earn Bitcoin while playing games. Great to have you, Des. Thanks for having me. This is one of my fave pod- podcasts, so I'm excited to be here. That's the way. That's the way. Good job. Nah. Uh, Graham Krizik, uh, founder and CEO of Voltage, a lightning infrastructure company. Thanks for joining us, Graham. Yeah, thanks for having me. Excited to chat. Absolutely. And then Tony Giorgio, co-founder and CEO of Mutiny Wallet, a self-custodial social payments app built on top of lightning. Appreciate you being here, Tony. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Everyone here is, is fantastic. Heck yeah. And Victor Boonin, protocol specialist and leading the lightning development efforts at Coinbex. Welcome to the show, Victor. Thanks so much. And sorry, I'm not, I'm the only CEO, uh, non-CEO that's here, um, but I'll try to make up for it with good content. Well, not to put you on the spot, but you are leading the lightning development efforts at Coinbase, correct? There's a team of us that's, uh, you know, folks in addition to me, but I'm one of the key folks, yes. Good deal. Well, that's... That's great. And as always, Kathy Wood, founder, CEO, and CIO at ARK Invest. How are you doing, Kathy? I'm great. I'm very excited about this conversation. Absolutely. So Yasin, after getting through all those introductions, where do you think is the best jumping off point for us? 
Yeah, I'm really excited about this conversation, especially amongst a lot of the chatter today around Bitcoin has been, you know, institutionalizing Bitcoin, providing efficient products to gain exposure um, and really emphasizing kind of this use case of Bitcoin as this strategic allocation, uh, like a store of value type use case that's uncorrelated with traditional asset classes. And I think in all of this chatter, we often forget some of the um, you know, use cases that extend beyond just store of value and that people are using this not just on a daily basis, but are building on top of it uh, in a way that I think a lot of call it traditional investors or holders uh, really underappreciate. So the reason why we're all gathered here today is to kind of explore some of those uh, underrated use cases, um, some of the innovations that we're seeing outside of just, you know, this, this digital gold thesis uh, and really kind of discussing broader adoption trends uh, as a whole um, that go beyond just, you know, thinking about the base protocol. Um, so, you know, with that, maybe we can just just dive in. Um, you know, what do you guys think are, are some of these underexplored use cases in Bitcoin? What are you working on? What are you excited about? Um, and um, yeah, let's take it from there. Maybe I'll uh, just open up with a little bit of a obvious take, but I'm sure we're going to spend a lot of time on it, which is around taproot assets and the ability to finally have um, scalable stable coins on Bitcoin. I think it's um, you know something a lot of people have spent a lot of time talking about, but um, it's something I'd love to just kind of bring up here is that of you know I spent a lot of time in, in other protocols ecosystems as well, such as Ethereum and Solana and Polygon, and if you kind of take a look around, um, a lot of things have kind of gone downhill over the bear market. But stablecoins is one of the things that people have continued to be bullish on and use and integrate into you know their business logic and services. And so I think there's like something really magical about um, Lightning adding stablecoin support at this point in time, because there are so many learnings already from these other ecosystems where it's like, hey, these are the use cases that are resonating. Um, and so chief amongst them, for example, are you know we spent spent a lot of time thinking about you know what are people using in developing countries. And, you know, the primary competitor to Lightning there is just USDT on Tron, right? Like that's the lowest cost, cheapest thing that everybody's asking for all the time. Um, and so it's really interesting because now you have, you know, Bitcoin as a base that everybody knows and loves, and you have the ability to have a USDT on Tron type of experience on Bitcoin and that it's, you know, extremely fast, extremely scalable um, and can be non-custodial as well. And so that's something that, you know, already has like this really strong grassroots movement associated with it where it can capture, you know, a lot of market share. But then that's the thing that a lot of people talk about. But then like when you move beyond that, something I'd love um, to see Lightning enable is some of the other things that we're starting to see. And so as one example, you know, a lot of investments that are done in the crypto ecosystem, right? When you're investing into startups, for example, like people love just sending USDC, right? Instead of using bank accounts, like it's way easier for funding. And so you have this ability to not only receive it, but then also like, put that USDC or whatever it is, you know, into your bank account or into a multi-sig or like have some kind of controls over it. And so capitalizing on that use case is a huge one. Another one is everything around, um, you know, tightly integrating relationships between like bank accounts and stable coins. So you can move between them seamlessly. And that's something that, that Bridge.xyz is doing, for example. Like there's efforts to do that on Lightning, but something I'd love to see is how do you take these service providers that are integrating stable coins and all these different networks and being like, hey, you know, you have Ethereum and you have Arbitrum and you have Solana, you have whatever, Lightning should be a core component of what you're doing. And there's like a really easy way that you can start 
integrating that into your broader product suite and start bootstrapping some of that adoption without having to understand like a ton of your own kind of like knowledge about how lightning works and, and all of its edge cases. So I'm excited for, you know, the boots on the ground use case, but I'm also excited about integrating lightning into all the other stuff um, where we're seeing a lot of uses. Can I just ask a quick question? What would be the um, reason, what would be uh, opposition to that? Any, any particular reason or is this, or, or is this taking off pretty quickly? For like stable coins on Lightning or for integration into the service providers? Integration. So I think on the integration side, well, the first thing is that there is no stable coin uh, on Lightning Live yet, right? And so hopefully you'll have like a USDC or USDT that, that goes live um, or maybe some other competitor. Um, so that'd be the first step. I think the second step is that if you're developing predominantly for like an EVM environment, right? If you just do like EVM and Solana, you already have you know, something like 90% of the smart contract market share. And so you really only have to do two things and they all kind of work like relatively in, in similar ways. And so just the next hurdle is going to be, okay, how do you add lightning to the suite as well? And so that's why like, I prefer for people to not have to go and learn lightning all on their own every single time. Like it'd be really nice if there was like easier ways for them to do it so they can just like plug and play. I'm curious, Alex, if you have any yeah thoughts there. Yeah, no, I, I think Victor is spot on. I think the trends he's highlighting are, are super interesting, and it, and I and I can maybe add some color in terms of um, sort of how to um, think about this higher level trend of Lightning and Fiat sort of becoming a little bit more friendly. Uh, I really actually think there's there's two directions people are taking with this, and the first direction being uh, this insight that there's all these crypto exchanges worldwide that have built best-in-class rails between crypto and fiat in their region or locale. Um, and Lightning is sort of the last connecting piece for all of these um, exchanges to have value that can transmit instantly between them. And so with all of these regional exchanges on Lightning, what you have is this, um, is this, uh, this ability to send uh, fiat from one place, have it converted to Bitcoin, sent instantly to another place, and have it converted back to the local currency there. Because it's happening instantly and irreversibly, unlike an on-chain payment, which can take up to you know, 30 minutes or so, you can give a single quote for what the end-to-end -end sort of cost of that exchange from the, the sender fiat currency to the receiver fiat currency is going to be. And so we're seeing so like LightSpark just released this universal money um, address to sort of kind of try and make something like this happen where every crypto enabled custodial financial institution worldwide can basically um, connect to the Lightning Network and allow their customers to send and receive fiat to any other custodial financial institution worldwide, um, basically fulfilling almost like the vision Ripple was trying to fulfill that it never really was able to because they tried to get everyone to use Ripple to do this and everyone just really wanted to use a more sort of like organic currency like Bitcoin. Um, and so that's sort of, so it's, that's one sort of direction people are, are investing in looking at basically lightning kind of actually realizing what Ripple tried to do. Then there's the other sort of uh, path, which is sort of more protocol um, native, which is, what Victor was talking about of these taproot assets bringing stable coins to the Lightning Network. And so um, with that, you don't actually even need a custodial financial institution. You can have these Lightning nodes that have Bitcoin channels to peers, but also have dollar channels to peers. And um, 
somebody who, you know, for example, um, Desiree could have a, uh, a lightning wallet and I could have a dollar channel to her um, and I could have a Bitcoin channel to Victor um, and Victor can pay Desiree through me um, and Victor's paying Bitcoin and Desiree is receiving dollars over lightning and I'm facilitating that swap kind of non-custodially. Um, and so that's another basically direction that sort of more, more uh, protocol native way of facilitating this um, decentralized fiat network. So I think that's a, like kind of a good way to break it down. And I think to add on to a little bit, I'm definitely seeing this trend and demand itself. Um, there's other ways to go about it too. It doesn't even need to be tapered assets. I think, I think DLCs are kind of the approach where sort of taking or looking at it, where it's a discrete log contract, almost, you know, like a smart contract on top of Bitcoin where you and another counterparty basically lock in that, uh, you know, the USD dollar amount, but it's all backed by the Bitcoin itself. So, you know, it, it involves having oracles to do the price checking and, but it's essentially just, you know, a bet between two parties and, and, you know, they pretty much agree on the price um, or have that Oracle, you know, mention the price. And then if, you know, the price swings in one rate or another, the balance um, between the Bitcoin balance between the two parties shifts as well to lock in that USD value. Like there's, there's a lot of ways to get there. I think, um, I think taproot assets is, is an interesting way. And I think, um, you know, we're going to start building out some more DLC technology to kind of, you know, see this play out on our side. We have companies like um, 1010One, who's also trying to do it in a trading atmosphere as well, where you you lock up the DLCs on Lightning itself. And then, um, you know, you can you can you can buy more Bitcoin, sell more Bitcoin, lock in that price um, through that DLC smart contract. So there's I think there's a lot of ways to go about it. I think even a naive way to go about it is just to do you know normal swaps. Um, have some swapping third party in the middle, but you know, I think I think the doing it as much as we can at a protocol level through DLCs or taproot assets um, could unlock a lot of different use cases. I think also, you know, to chime in that when it comes to like use cases, um, it's especially since Berlin, um, the use cases for Bitcoin and for Lightning have like really matured, and we're looking at a lot of people and businesses building, and not just working on use cases that we're building with Bitcoin for the sake of building with Bitcoin, we're actually solving like real problems in the market. We're actually meeting like real user demand. Um, and I think that's a big thing with stable coins. Um, and, you know, like that's something that we'll eventually need at Thunder. But, um, you know, I think we're going to see this entire ecosystem really mature in that way. I mean, and that's kind of how we approach it at Thunder with, you know, thinking about use cases. Like we created the micro incentive rewards in the games as a monetization tool for game developers, you know, post ATT policy changes um, in the app store and IDFA changes, developers could no longer really monetize, um, especially in hyper casual. And so if there's a way to incentivize long, longer retention, grow your LTV while still, you know, sharing some of that revenue to keep those people around, we're able to do that using Bitcoin and there's no other way to do it outside of using the Lightning Network. And similar with the new pro our new product clinch, which is like the peer-to-peer non-custodial um, depositless wagering, there's no other way to do it without, um, without the Lightning Network. And we're really, rather than just doing it because it's cool, because it's Bitcoin, we're doing it because Bitcoin really has these really unique 
properties that helps us solve a business problem where, you know, wagering today, there's just like really high buy-ins, cash out thresholds, there's min and max bet sizes, um, payouts are incredibly slow. And that's all because of the friction associated with the traditional fiat rails. And we're able to use lightning, which really allows you to make incredibly small payments, instant cash outs. Um, we're able to really solve problems that so many users see and just like the wagering online casino and sports betting realm. And so I think that's what's really important. And I'm seeing a lot of, um, you know, just from like colleagues in the space is that like, it's not just building for the sake of Bitcoin, it's really building because Bitcoin allows us to solve problems in the real world, which I think is really powerful. Des, is this more of a developed world or is the developing world getting involved? I'm, I just don't know your business well enough. Yeah, I mean, I would, the majority of our users, I would say, are um, in Latin America or um, the Asian Pacific region. region. Um, and that's, you know, why we built our newest pro product, Clinch, is because those individuals can't partake in um, a social competitive type of gameplay um, because of the the traditional fiat rails because there are regional restrictions um but when you are operating on lightning you don't have those restrictions anymore so it is for us very much largely um developing regions awesome i'll i'll throw in uh just my take here and i think um i'm going to take it in a completely different direction of something that um i feel like is talked about a lot in the lightning space but we, i don't think we've seen a lot of like real use cases and that's more machine to machine payments so things like ai or energy consumption these kinds of like autonomous systems that can kind of uh, pay pay a vendor like automatically based on consumption, all these things. It's kind of a, a use case that people talk about a lot in Lightning, but there's not actually a lot of people kind of incorporating it in that way. We see some early ones like Sonoda, who is doing it for kind of miners and energy. Um, and then we've seen some like L402s type stuff. Um, but so it's not necessarily a new use case because the use case has always been there, but actually exploring that and being able to enable that for a lot of uh, new applications, I think is a, a big unlock for things like, you know, getting rid of kind of like the net 30, net 60 day payment cycles and all that stuff. Um, you know, if you have the ability of paying a, a, an invoice daily and doing that for virtually no cost, um, and have it be finalized instantly. I mean, why would a business not want to uh, be a part of some a system like that. And so, uh, yeah, I think that there's a lot of things that can be built out inside of kind of this machine to machine world, which I think that we could all probably agree is, you know, we're machines aren't going away. Um, we're not going to be replaced, but they're not going to go away. So I think um, increasing the, uh, the ability for those to kind of interact, I think is going to be a, a really popular use case um, over time. We're going to see actually people starting to build real solutions around that in, in the coming you know months and, and years. I'll actually take a little bit of the opposite side of that. I'm bearish on machine to machine, not because it's not a good use case, but just when I think about kind of like a timeline perspective and how, how much of a problem it is, I'm just like, you know, existing payment systems and rails, like if you can just aggregate a bunch of payments into a monthly bill that just gets billed to a credit card, not that it's like the better version of it, um, but it's one of those things where it's like, it works well enough that unless there was like a really high benefit to changing it people are just not really going to bother um and there's not enough i think examples of like the machine to machine kind of like okay like there's so many examples of this that, like really the, the bar is being met and like somebody's going to take the lead on it um i think i'm more bullish on that on like maybe like a 10-year time horizon more than i am like a two to three year time horizon 
I think like in the two to three year, I'm like the like more of the benefits accrue to how do you use these payment rails where other payment rails are like really terrible. Um, and so there's like a marked difference of like 10 to 100x better. Whereas here it's like, yes, it's better, but then there's like a whole bunch of counter examples where it's like better or worse, you know? Um, like I was talking about like the, you know, paying for AWS, right? Like you're using a particular function or using a whatever, or like an AI query where it's computing uh, an answer for you. And so you're actually consuming machine resources. Like, yes, in some sense, you'd like to be paid immediately when that happens. But in the other sense, you know, if you're ChatGPT, you love a monthly subscription because a lot of people forget to use it or they like underutilize it, right? Um, and so like, is it a, a bad enough problem that you're like, hey, I need to switch to this like pay as you go model. And a lot of time the answer is like, eh, maybe, maybe not. It's not super clear. Yeah, just just one point there. I, I, I agree the sort of pay as you go or the streaming sets is per, perhaps not a big enough, um, I would say, improvement to traditional rails where you're going to see that switch. But what about sort of, I think back to Dez's points around Bitcoin offering these inherent properties that tr the traditional financial system simply does not offer because it's that's not how it's set up. I'm thinking specifically about sort of the irreversibility and the settlement guarantees that you see in a sort of decentralized protocol. So things like chargebacks, I'd say is a, a really interesting use case where if you have these autonomous agents that have no incentive or can, you can basically circumvent uh, and, and create chargebacks um, in, in a way that the, the traditional rails you know, can't, can't avoid, something like integration with Bitcoin or this P2P network where you have these autonomous agents talking to each other uh, and they and they know that there are rules to the protocol where, you know, if you're going to make a payment, it's irreversible. Doesn't that doesn't that uh, lend itself to much more efficient allocation of resources uh, and an ability for, let's say, machines to communicate at scale in a way that they can't today? Or am I, am I missing something? Yeah, but I think machine to machine is like not a big enough use case today. Um, I think a lot of the time it's like what it's essentially being is business to business, right? And then that business has a bunch of machines and the businesses are the ones that are really, you know, agreeing on terms and pricing and all that stuff. I think with like Des's example, where Lightning enables you to do something that you can't do otherwise, like that is a strongly agree and super obvious thing. But with a lot of examples that are not that, if the improvement is not like 10 to 100x and it's kind of marginal, then it's not super clear. And even the example with chargebacks, actually both like and don't like that one because chargebacks exist because consumers want them, right? Like that's why, that's why they're there. And so it's not like a value prop to be like, Hey consumer, there's no char chargebacks available here because like a lot of people actually really like having the ability to do a chargeback. I agree that it's a, appealing to the merchant, but you know, also like there was a recent, I don't know if it was you, Alex, that wrote it in like one of the river posts about how like there can be a new payment type on lightning that is like temporary hold or whatever it is. It doesn't like complete, but it can be charged back. Is that in one of the articles on like 2025? It might've been. I, I don't remember that one exactly, but possibly. I was just gonna say like, yeah, like I, 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 I agree with the, the sentiment of like, if it's a big enough problem to solve, like I'm, I don't think the world is going to switch their Netflix bill to like paying over lightning like tomorrow. Like, yeah, that's probably not going to be a real thing. But I think inside of like, again, going back to the Sonoda example where there's like, you know, you have to, you use electricity for a month and then you have like 60 days past that month to pay it. And there's a lot of discrepancies where there's like arguments between like how much did you consume? Um, was there like a leak if it's like a water system or something like that? And I think if you can um, reduce the time um, to settle uh, a lot, I think that that um, increases. Uh, I think the need is stronger there. And I think that you would be able to, um, 
I think settling like ACHs every day is like possible, kind of annoying. And then if you can like automate the systems, like it's there, there's a, there's levels to like, is that business to business? Is that machine to machine? I think there's a lot of things you can apply it to, but I also agree with the sentiment of like things like what Des said around like um, the things that the protocol can enable um, that is unique to a given region or demographic or something is like definitely um, the, the earlier fruit that should be kind of taken. Yeah, I uh, just listening to this, I think uh, one of the reasons I asked Des the question is um, it does seem like this is more of an emerging markets where the risks inherent in, you know, getting paid, let's say, are so much higher. So taking the steps out and, and basically getting everyone, you know, used to the rules of the game, you know, permanent, immutable and so forth, you're taking the risks, uh, we, t- we talk about the toll takers in between merchants and consumers in the U.S., where the rails are good enough. Um, all of those seven toll takers in the middle are, are there to because they're trying to diminish the risk of the transact uh, associated with the transaction. Uh, so peer-to-peer in emerging markets, given the enormity of the risks there, would seem to make more sense. Yeah, I think one of Kathy does sort of um, add, add on to that. One of the, I think, insights that everyone intuitively knows, but I don't know has been fully realized yet. And I think Coinbase is doing a lot of work to actually you know, to realize this is with with Bitcoin um, and crypto in general, um, you don't need this whole stack of companies like you're talking about. The the account, the, the asset is a... Um, whether you want to say a bearer asset or or whatever term you want to use, um, it's all just there. And when you make the transaction, it goes to where it needs to go. Um, you don't have all these chains of promises and credit. And you know, when when the money is credit, that's required. Um, and but but with crypto, you can actually just kind of the the bank can also be the payment processor, um, which is interesting. Maybe going back to Victor's first point, just around you know tarot and. Um, what it's going to take for, let's say, for us to see the first stablecoin, because I think the Taproot um, asset, that was initially proposed in, I think, April of last year. Um, you know, we've seen you know a year and a half go by. Victor, what do you, what what is it going to take, let's say, to see sort of that first ubiquitous stablecoin on Bitcoin? Is it like a circle that's going to need to commit resources? Do you think that this is a potentially a tether? Or is it an entirely new beast in and of itself? Yeah. So obviously I'm just sharing on my own behalf, <laughs> but I think that there's really only like two players in the stablecoin game, which is USDC and USDT. Um, and I think that one really nice thing is if you like look back historically, USDT was uh, originally entirely based on top of Bitcoin, right? And so like that was where all the supply was and all the activity. It moved to Ethereum and other general purpose platforms for you know speed and all kinds of different reasons. Um, but when you're talking about kind of like moving back to Lightning, right? Or having something launch on Lightning, it's not this cold start problem where it's like, hey, you have a brand new blockchain and like there's not a ton of activity there and da 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 You really get a lot of the benefits of you know, being part of the Bitcoin community, being part of this expanding Lightning network, being able to use the same payment channels that you know regular BTC transactions on, on Lightning use, and so because you don't have this this cold start problem, that actually makes I think the business case, and you have this history of adoption, it makes the business case to add support um, that much more powerful. 
And so uh, I think that's one like huge advantage that that uh, stablecoins on Lightning uh, have. And I think the other component of it is that there's a little bit of a race always, I think, between USDC and, and USDT. Um, and that if a particular stablecoin launches first, it'll tend to you know get adoption first, right? And so you have this like network effects that happen on on any blockchain. And so when you have something that's this appealing, where you're like, hey, there's a real opportunity here to get ahead. Um, and like I don't know anybody's plans or or anything like that, but I think you know each team can make a really strong case for uh, for, for launching as, as soon as possible. And then, sorry, and the very last thing I'll say is that you you see other stablecoin providers kind of like launching and you have like the PayPal USD and I'm sure other ones as well. Um, I think those folks also have a really cool opportunity because like they're so far behind in all the other markets where stablecoins exist that it's like, hey, like they should be paying attention to this thing as well. And so like there's a really nice, you know, activation threshold there. I guess one of my questions then, and this is for the broader group like Des as well as Tony and Graham then, if there's broader adoption on the payments rail with Lightning, is there going to be like support for any of these other rails um, to do stable sats or does this all consolidate back to Bitcoin and everything goes to zero outside of Bitcoin? So that's kind of my perspective. Um, I mean, we're, we're exploring what it would look like to be able to support these things, but still have the Bitcoin ethos and the Bitcoin mentality at play here. So, you know, we might have some early thing where it's just like, hey, move everything, move over, you know, your shit coins into our wallet. We have swapping services where you can just hold everything in Bitcoin or hold everything in a DLC, um, a like, you know, a Bitcoin DLC. And then if you need to interact with other services, if you're interacting with merchants that only want USDT on Tron or something, you can still you can still pay them out. Um, I, I, I'm more interested in supporting the kind of use case of like, hey, hold Bitcoin, um, you know, use it, have it as the asset, have it as the thing that you can, you know, rely upon. Um, sure, if you want that USD value instead, you know, you can you can support that with a DLC. Um, but otherwise, if you need to interact with things just on a daily basis, you can still interact with them, but still hold true to like, you know, wanting to be Bitcoin only have it have that digital code aspect of it as well. Yeah, I think I mean, obviously, the goal is for everything to zero out to Bitcoin, right. Um, but I think it's really interesting. I mean, for us, like we really kind of meet users at the very, very beginning of our journey, their journey. Um, 80% of our users are totally new to Bitcoin. This is the first time they've ever touched it. Um, and, you know, we try and make that as simple as an experience as possible and, you know, make the UX as kind of akin to anything they'd see in another game or, you know, another wallet that they would see with fiat in another game, but it, it is difficult. Um, and so I think for us, you know, especially with our clinch, this wagering product, um, you know, we are really excited about, you know, showing users in the beginning of fiat front end. You know, they are just coming to the games because, you know, they want to win Bitcoin um, or win, a, you know, it's really the idea of like winning some type of free currency. They don't necessarily care up front. So if we can show them the fiat part and it's easier for them to onboard, we can slowly kind of strip away the fiat um, skin and show them the Bitcoin eventually. And that's what we're kind of doing now anyways. It's, you know, they come, they, they see the Bitcoin, they, they do a whole custodial onboarding, but, you know, we eventually introduce them to like safer, more secure, like cold storage solutions. So from in my mind, it's like, I think it's this really 
interesting opportunity to onboard more like no coiner users and like eventually transition them to, you know, operating totally in Bitcoin someday when we all <laughs> achieve that dream. Yeah, I think I'll maybe add on to what Des was saying is basically Bitcoin is nobody's unit of account. Um, I think anyone who's worked like on any real consumer product knows at the end of the day, most people really just want dollars. And it's really just a time frame question. Like, I think a lot of us agree, like Bitcoin is the end all be all at the end of the day. But the products we build now, you know, face this market reality. Um, and how do you traverse that time frame, given that we don't really know how long it lasts? And um, uh, it's, it's an interesting challenge and optimization problem. Yeah. And I'll be maybe a little bit contrarian of like, I don't think everything else will go to zero. Um, uh, like the reality is that when you have stable coins on lightning, they're very, very good at like, you know, if you know, compared to driving right in roads, like if you know, you're taking the same route to and from work every day and like it's a highly trafficked, fantastic. It's super useful for you. That's the way I think about lightning channels, right? Like super high, you know, traffic, super high throughput. Like, you know, the roads that you're, that you're kind of going down, but when you get outside of that, right. And you want programmability and you want DeFi and you want a whole bunch of stuff, then all of a sudden, like, these are things that are not really possible on Lightning. And so as like a one really specific example, like let's say you're, you know, you're a business that's accepting stable coins. Um, you accept stable coins and like they're just sitting on chain. Like I think over time, there's, no, there's not going to be the concept of like cashing out to a bank account. Like all activity is going to happen on chain, whether it's on Lightning or on ETH or, or somewhere else uh, or probably across a number of them. And so like as you get paid and USDC or whatever it is, right, you put it into Aave or you put it into Compound, you put it into Lending Protocol. So it's earning you additional yield as is just sitting there waiting for you. And so I think that what, what we're going to see over time is that uh, businesses will use multiple different blockchains uh, depending on the utility that blockchain provides them. And so I think Lightning is going to be a huge component of that. But I think that it's like has not been shown to be true that that means that everything else will not be used. If anything, like other things also have a ton of use cases and will continue to. Yeah, I'd, I'd echo Victor here. I think ultimately in many ways, Bitcoin is a beast of its own. So to even, even to compare it to, you know, other protocols is an apples to oranges comparison. Um, you know, there are specific use cases. I'd say Bitcoin's settlement guarantees, it's, it's you know, high fidelity um, assurances make it, you know, ultimately there, there needs to be like a, a, a trade-off between those guarantees and call it the composability of their programmability. But maybe on just the broader infrastructure, state of Lightning Network infrastructure, where are we? Uh, Graham, maybe we can start with you. Give, give a little um, rundown of what you're doing at Voltage. And uh, I'd say um, providing an overview over the last few years about how Lightning Network infrastructure has, has grown and matured would be, would be really helpful. Yeah, definitely. So like us as an organization, we're like a, a Bitcoin infrastructure provider. So we run nodes for Bitcoin layer one, lightning, liquidity, all the things that you would need to incorporate lightning into your business. Um, I mean, when we started like over three years ago, I mean, lightning was still, um, it was still a little nascent. There's still a lot of uh, edge edges to, to work out. Um, luckily, we've been, um, you know, working through as, as a ecosystem to really um, make the infrastructure more robust so you can kind of meet the needs of Coinbase types and whatnot. So, um, from the infrastructure layer, like that's, that's been super positive. I think um, to kind of round out to what we were talking about just a little bit ago, things like taproot assets are super interesting. Like 
light doing tapered assets on side of lightning isn't even possible today. It's only like layer one available today. And so I think that we're still, um, there's still a lot to go in terms of like actually um, enabling a lot more of the types of services that we're talking about today, which I think is um, exciting and that uh, we see uh, this much demand without it even being available yet. Uh, and I think from the, there's also a lot of protocol improvements that have been happening to make this all easier. So things like splicing um, to make, you know, liquidity management much easier um, and build out a lot of um, opportunities for things like the non-custodial mobile use case, which was maybe really, when we started, like that was a very challenging thing to actually accomplish where today it's much more achievable with things like LDK and whatnot. So uh, I think overall from like this state of like infrastructure, like we've come a, a long, long way um, from where we were, you know, several years ago. And I think where we're actually able to like sufficiently kind of handle the amount of demand that we're seeing um, as a network. And then there's also um, to the point of like, I think, uh, is everything going to Bitcoin or not? I mean, I think that, you know, I think everyone can have their opinions on that, but I think that there's to look at Bitcoin and lightning and see it as it exists today and think that that's the final state would be very, very naive. Like there's a lot of enhancements that have that are proposed that are being worked on and all those different things. And so, um, you know, if, 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 uh, stable coins on lightning beat out Tron, like what, is there enough activity on Tron for it to exist as a chain? I don't, I don't know. I haven't really looked into it that much. Um, but I think that that's a prime example of, as we look at the uh, uh, Bitcoin and Lightning evolving, I think there's a lot of opportunity for us to solve like the use cases that actually have demand inside of um, the inside of the world, really. And so, uh, so to summarize, I think that you know we've come a long way from like the robustness of infrastructure, what you can do, and how you can operate inside of Lightning today. And then looking towards the future, there's a huge amount of things that are either proposed or being worked on that are going to unlock a lot of new possibilities inside of like you know stable coins, as well as making just the protocol of lightning much easier to use and much uh, much more efficient to use as well from like an on-chain perspective onboarding new users all of those things so um i think it's a very exciting time there's a lot um we've come a long way and there's a huge amount of possibility in front of us as well one of one of the the metrics we um like to look at is the number of developers and over time uh the number of developers on ethereum has really taken off and and while the number on Bitcoin uh, generally has, it's still moving up, uh, it, it was, uh, uh, the slope had changed and flattened out. Has the, ha, have all of the developments that you're talking about on the Lightning Network changed that dynamic? Are we starting to see an inflection point uh, uh, with more Bitcoin developers here? Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think so, especially when you think about like ordinals and all of those things. I mean, those are kind of um, those kind of came and they haven't went, but they're not not as popular as they were. But I think that that is just a prime example of like a new thing that was possible. And there's a big flood of developers that came in for that. I don't have any numbers on like, you know, percent increase or anything like that. But it was very, very obvious. There's a lot of people participating in the ecosystem that maybe were new or weren't, you know, um, Bitcoin developers before that. And so um I think that it has definitely had a positive impact on the developer ecosystem. And I think that that will only continue as we work through, um, you know, more tooling and, and possibilities. Yeah, I think if you just even look at like some of these hackathons or just like the Wolf, the Wolf program, um, there's just so many more like people applying. Like, you know, I, I, mean, I believe it was a hackathon recently. There's like 200 people that submitted ideas. And yeah, maybe they're not like building those out in full, but I think it's just... It's, I know it's nothing compared to the scale of Ethereum, but it has grown significantly to like 
since like 2019 in at the lightning conference in Berlin. Like, I don't know if you guys remember the um, round table that we did there. I think it was like nine people. I don't, Alex, were you there? I and mean, it was like very, very few, like real tiny little businesses building on um, L and D at the time. And so it's really incredible in my mind to see, you know, 200 ideas of just people kind of hacking around. I think that's kind of a big deal, but like also it's, it's hard to build on Bitcoin. I think everybody knows here it's, it's a little bit harder um, for good reason. You know, we've made the trade-offs um, for many reasons, security, you know, robustness, whatnot. But, um, you know, I think there is something to be said for like the type of people who are building in Bitcoin. You know, there is a lot of, I like to think, um, quality over quantity here. And I think Tony was one of the nine developers in Berlin uh amongst those folks I, no, I wasn't even doing yeah any lightning things at, at the time i just was trying to get into it really um but I, I think along the same lines of infrastructure um i mean even just businesses that specialize in different parts of the lightning stack today i mean we're all in different verticals basically on the lightning stack and just the just the fact that you know we're building a lightning wallet now that you know we're, we're powering the front end of it we're doing the development of that but like on the same you know on the same vein like voltage is our liquidity provider so like we're not you know I, I think when you saw the early days in 2019 everyone had to build their own vertical stack everyone had to be that was a, everyone had to be a lightning wallet and then they had to provide liquidity and they had to run routing nodes and they had to like build the front end services and the apps around their wallets. Like all of that you had to do on your own. And then, you know, Alex, I think you guys showed off the um, in your lightning report recently, like a huge explosions in lightning companies that just got funded over over the last year. And as it's like, you know, I I could get it wrong, but it looked like 10x the amount of co lightning specific companies as previous year. So I think like infrastructure, like, you know, there are the protocol development, um, you know, developers, but I think even when you look at businesses and the developers they have on staff and the, and the sort of verticals that they're trying to integrate with, I think, I think it's way more robust than it's ever been and it enables us to, um, you know, take advantage of everyone's infrastructure. Um, and we come in and solve our piece of the puzzle and then, you know, bring in everyone else. Des, you bring up a really interesting point on, on the dynamics, the nature of, a developer on Bitcoin, let's say versus Ethereum, where you, you're acknowledging that it's it, it's harder and arguably not more cost effective to be building on Bitcoin. But the reason why is that there are certain assurances that you don't get anywhere else. I think we're seeing a much different dynamic where you're seeing a lot of people, um, you know, after um, realizing how high fees were on Ethereum, like switching over to Solana. And I, I've I've seen. The dynamics there where they're they, they're kind of agnostic of any chain they just want faster better cheaper the question is where does that stop so if it's not solana then it might be the next thing if it's not ethereum it might be solana whereas i think with with bitcoin and, and the bitcoin developers and tony you actually mentioned this too just around the ethos and, and the nature of why you're building on bitcoin it's a much different dynamic so even if the sheer count um is lower it's the the, the, the stickiness i think is much higher uh, and I think a lot, a lot of people don't really fully appreciate that. Yeah. I mean, we don't get to just print our own money and, 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 and do the fancy marketing and to give it out away to everyone to come build on it. I mean, this, this, that's, and then it's arguable that there's even use cases even there besides all the hype and the marketing and the speculation on the price. Like that's at the end of the day, that's a big value for 
the shit coins in the space is, you know, can they print their own money, attract enough of a market and user base, and then exploit it as much as possible? Like we don't have that. <laughs> We're not building that kind of system. So, you know, it is a lot harder to kind of prove out you know, what we're doing and that it's the right approach. And, you know, you're not going to just get scammed a few months down the line. Is that why, I mean, you all probably believed in Bitcoin, you know, a long, long, long time ago. So you may have started, but uh, among all of you, uh, were you attracted to the Lightning Network uh, just because of all the scams and, you know, trying to avoid and get into the most robust, uh, secure ecosystem? Or... Or, or had you already bought in? I mean, I can speak to River. We were one of the, we were, I think, the first um, Bitcoin exchange in the U.S. to support Lightning. We've always been Bitcoin only, so we were already bought into Bitcoin and focusing on its use case as a store of value and eventually a medium of exchange. So, for for me, Lightning was just exciting because it was, you know, I thought it was going to really help Bitcoin take that next step and from a store of value into into a medium of exchange or help accelerate that. Um, so that's what most excited me. I mean, for me, I, I've always been very realistic. Bitcoin is purpose built. It's specific to do one thing and do it really, really well. I don't think it's ever going to have the same amount of developer interest as, um, as Ethereum because you can't experiment as much because there isn't, because it's meant to just do one thing really. So, um, yeah, so, but that's what, that's what excited me about it. That's so much of the beauty I find, you know, I mean, Obviously, I mean, you know, when you're building a business, like hyper focus is like absolutely essential. And that's what I love about Bitcoin is it's like really just trying to be a better money. You know, it, it does kind of check the box for so many different things. But like for us, it's like, you know, when we come to building games with, you know, rewards in them, you know, we're not messing around with like NFTs and tokens and all of this that just kind of complicate things. We're like, literally just adding a value layer back to games um, and making it so incredibly simple. And it's like, let's solve one thing first and then we can kind of go from there. And so I think we're just touching the surface with what Bitcoin can do right now. Um, so like, let's let it, let it kind of grow and flourish um, and do its thing before we start trying to do too much more. And I, and that's what really kind of, you know, attracted myself and, you know, my co-founder to, um, to Bitcoin. I love that. From, from, I love that. Yeah, yes. and, so, and something that I'll say is um, there's probably people on this call that would call, call me a shitcoiner, and I think that's totally fine um, because I do have a lot of exposure to other ecosystems. Um, I think that the, I think it's like a little bit naive to be like, hey, everything else is a scam, and this is the only thing that that's not a scam. Um, I think the reality is that different communities have different values, right, and different value props. And so, whereas Bitcoin is building the best money in the world, right, and the best way to transfer money in the world. Uh, what Ethereum is trying to do is build a credibly neutral blockchain on which anybody can build whatever they want. And so like you do have that, you know, extremely expressive, sometimes too expressive of a language um, that really enables you to be extremely creative and come up with use cases. And you have something like, you know, Uniswap that allows you to switch between any currencies that you want, right? Any tokens, anything that is you know being generated um, and do that in a completely permissionless, completely decentralized, completely unstoppable way. And so, you know, there's real value to building that, that credibly neutral layer that allows anybody to build what they want. And like even looking at something like Solana, like their values are, are really straightforward. They want to be the cheapest and the fastest. Like they just want to be an app platform. They're not trying to make sold the token into money. They're not trying to be like, hey, we have this, you know, grand mission to have everybody use, you know, Solana for everything. They just want to build a great, you know, DAP platform um, 
and they're just making different choices along the way. And once you start engaging with those communities, like, you know, you're welcome to disagree. And I disagree with a lot from each of the communities. Um, but it's important to realize like 99% of the people in each of these things are building things that they want to build for people that, you know, they want them to use it. Um, there's a small cohort in every community and the Bitcoin community has it as well that talks nonsense and, uh, you know, is scammy and misleads people. Um, but it's, you know, it's all of our jobs as community leaders um, everywhere that we are to make sure that we, you know, put up the right banner. And it's like, hey, no, we are building something, you know, as Desiree said, like we are building something that adheres to the values of this community that like, you know, people want to use that like makes a lot of sense and is trying to be a, a good actor in the space. That's why I love competition. Competition is such a beautiful thing. And at the end of the day, the best product services uh, will win uh, ultimately. And that's why, like, just hopefully this is not a tangent, but I actually have used or currently use in my daily life every, and I said this in the, the pre-show, uh, every single one of your guys' products. Coinbase was the first place I bought sats. Des, uh, I love you and also have a little bit of a sore spot because of how addictive your gaming app is. Uh, gaming apps, I mean, it's such an amazing business. You take the traditional amazing games like Snake and you Bitcoinify it and put that as a reward mechanism. I mean, Graham and well, Tony's my the wallet of choice where I uh, and I am going to take up Dr. Laffer uh, and buy him a cup of coffee here at Bitcoin Park. And I'm going to use my mutiny wallet to do that. And it's power. The, the POS here at Bitcoin Park is powered by voltage. And then those sats, you know, that people pay, they go into my river account and it's a beautiful transaction over there. Alex, please me familia labels on transactions. That would be fantastic uh, for a business owner. Um, but I'll, I'll say this, it's so, not to be glass half full, there's so many amazing stories that are being developed in the Bitcoin world um, where, because of people on this call that are developing and creating the world that they want to. So I, I maybe just, uh, I'm curious to know some of the stories like that may be untold from each of your guys' perspectives that that kind of blew you back with people using uh, your products and services? I will jump in super quick, but I we're really lucky to be very consumer facing um, and people get very passionate about games. Um, and so we all the time are tagged in like photos and videos of people literally with their grandmas or their moms um, showing them like they're playing solitaire and they're like, my mom is literally addicted. She has a problem now. Like, can you please send help? Um, but they learn about Bitcoin for the first time and they download Wallet of Satoshi or, you know, whatever wallet of choice they decide um, picking. So it, it's really cool to just see people use our games as a way to onboard people to, um, to the Lightning Network. I know my dad's girlfriend, she used to play solitaire for like an hour plus a night um, on skills platform, trying to win real money rewards. Um, and she switched over to um, our solitaire and she plays two hours a night and wins Bitcoin. Um, you know, it would be nice if she didn't like fleece us, but um, you know, <laughs> she's like cashy now, but it's, it's really cool to see, um, you know, actually visibly, visibly see the 80% of people who are really learning about Bitcoin um, for the first time when playing our games. Well, I mean, I think for me, um, it's it's two. I think one sort of the big trend is still still blows me away, which is Bitcoin. You, you, the amount of people just buying Bitcoin through us and saving in Bitcoin um, just is the growth is parabolic. Uh, 
even in a bear market. And it's it's wild. And so this I mean, I think that is one of the biggest macro narratives that is going to have very big impacts on the world. Um, and uh, that that always just blows me away. And um, that trend, when you extrapolate it and the implications geopolitically, um, just in the United States alone, the second, third order implications are, are huge, some completely unpredictable. It's just going to be very a very interesting future. Yeah, I think I think I think on our side, I mean, we're we're still early in development, we're still in beta, but I think even just um, one one thing, and it kind of goes back to the um, you know unexpected use cases of Bitcoin. I think the social aspect is is going to end up being a lot more important than I think you know we've seen in the wallet space before. Um, you know, you know, Desiree, the Thunder Games is very much a social as, um, aspect as well, and there's so much social you know, apps in this world that we can all kind of, you know, almost get our share of the pie, really. I mean, we're using, we're heavily integrated with the whole Nostra ecosystem where there's, you know, a lot of open source, open platform, social media stuff. And I think just the idea that, you know, we can pretty much build our own open source, open platform Venmo competitor built on top of Bitcoin and Lightning. I think that's, I think that's huge. So we still have a long way to go to like prove that out and like, you know, start having those wow stories, I think, but even just early indications, like, you know, we're just trying to be as like we, the self custodial space, it is very difficult to build, to build that out of fully. I mean, there's custodians here, like it's not that that's easy either. That's that comes with its own set. But just the idea of what you can give your users in a custodial atmosphere is a UX that is just almost the gold standard, really. So we have a lot of ways to improve, but I think that's our main goal is to show that, you know, with enough tech, with enough brain power, you know, we can start to kind of mimic what a custodial experience is like in a non-custodial experience. So we extrapolate all the channels. We like, you know, we even have a progressive web app so you can like scan a QR code and get it adopted to Bitcoin right away all non-custodially. Like I think, I think we have to make that, as easy as possible. I mean, there will always still be custodians, but if there's no self custodians, then that, you know, we're in a world of hurt. And uh, maybe one thing that I'll plug, um, Bitcoin and Lightning related, but, um, you know, lately Coinbase has been um, like, you know, trying to fight the good fight with, you know, ensuring that there's sensible regulations and sensible policies and, and all that stuff. And one thing I'm very thankful for is that, you know, the Bitcoin and Lightning communities are, you know, so large and so passionate and like have so much conviction about their beliefs that like something that I appreciate and I and I want to continue asking for is that you please continue to engage, uh, you know, with regulators and with politicians. There's a lot of different avenues in which you can do that, but just make your voices heard. Um, Coinbase helps uh, support a thing called standwithcrypto.org. Um, and so if you sign up there, you know, you'll get notified, you know, if it's something that you can do locally or if you can like reach out to the IRS or like other things on, on hot topic issues. And so please like help us, you know, harness this passion that you, that you have for Bitcoin and like help push, you know, pro Bitcoin and pro crypto re- uh, regulation and policies, not only in the United States, but also globally. Just to piggyback off that, I was so anti getting engaged, like with even like local politicians to like any of these folks. But here at Bitcoin Park, um, we've been, you know, we do these meetups, you know, we get 100, 200 folks to show up. Uh, BitDevs now is getting crazy large too. Um, But then we all all of a sudden, a lot of these um, teams, the staffers would come to these meetups 
and they would sit there, ask questions, engage with the community. And at first I'm like, you know, my spidey sense was like, all right, what's your angle? What are you trying to do here? Um, but they kept on showing up and showing up and showing up. And now, you know, here in Tennessee, we're engaged with top down, left and right. You can name whichever one um, in a positive way to be. I think, Victor, to your point, it's imagine being one of these politicians. They get like so they got to be, quote unquote, experts on trucking regulations to, you know, what's uh, happening in their local river to the local energy sources. And then all of a sudden you throw this Bitcoin and crypto and then you got SBF's face there and they're like, okay, hands up, you know, like we got to stop. So I guess my long winded way of saying is like, it doesn't matter wh who you are, or what you're doing. You're just engaging and being a resource for, for these folks, I think can go a, a long, long way. Yeah. Thank you so much for that. And one more plug, standwithcrypto.org. Please sign up. We'd love your support. We'd love for, to empower you to reach out. Maybe because I think you've seen, we're like getting near the end. And I really want to ask this question because we got so many uh, creators here. All right. I, I, you know, and Kathy, this is actually a really good fourth episode because on the episode three, we had Dr. Laffer, who was just like pinging away with amazing questions. And then on episode two, we had Paul Etoy and a, the number of folks just yeah, talking about big brain stuff of where the world could go with L402 and a number of like, and I'm a big fan of the uh, machine to machine side, but I wanted to save that debate for another time, uh, folks. And then on the first side with OB talking about Fetty and layer three and Jack and the rest, I, for this group, and I'll, just to discuss where, and I think Graham said it uh, well with the, you know, starting voltage three years ago and seeing where it's today. All right. Five years. I, oh my God. I can't even believe I'm going to say this. My daughter in 10 years will be driving a freaking car. Oh my God. Okay. So I'm imagining my daughter. What, what's that? Kathy, you're on mute, but, um, Ka Kathy's on mute, but I think she's going to say she's she going to be amazing this. feedback right now. It's motherly going to be, feedback. Uh, it's going to be, be autonomous. <laughs> oh yeah. Autonomous. You don't have to worry. I don't have to worry. Okay. Uh, I do want to teach her how to drive a car still, but I agree with that. But we're with my autonomous car, which I'll be paying uh, machine to machine with my Optimus robot and uh, worrying about nothing in life because it's, everything is super dialed in. Um, from your guys' perspective, and by the way, I will say this. One thing I'm nervous about, and Dr. Laffer brought it up many freaking times on the last podcast, was around privacy and anonymity. He kept on going back to that point, which was really profound to me uh, with all his experiences serving four of the last six presidents. He kept on going back to that. So as you're thinking about five to 10 years out, A, how do we preserve it? Uh, and B, what does the world look like? How do we preserve privacy? Uh, how do we pre preserve privacy and immunity and maybe like a level up is like, how do we preserve the freedoms that made America the best place to live? Right. Because like we got all of these trade offs that we're looking at from protocol development and where we're, we're you know, you may use a custodial wallet, but now you're trading off um, your personally identifiable information for self-assurances here or there. Like we're going to like Kathy just said, robo uh, taxis and fully autonomous. What's the trade off look like there and how are ways that we could instead of uh, trading off entire privacy and anonymity, maybe there's another thing that I'm not thinking about. In my opinion, we have to repeal a lot of laws and shift the culture. We have to repeal the Bank Secrecy Act. Um, 
and we have to get rid of a lot of these or like seriously cut back a lot of these government agencies, but that's not going to happen without a culture shift. I'm not super bullish on that, to be honest, uh, with like in five years, um, maybe we can shift it. Um, but the incentives don't seem to, um, sort of lean that way for how Washington operates, which I've gotten to see see quite up close more than I thought I would. I'm just, I'm, I'm actually not super optimistic about that. Yeah. And, you know, from our perspective, make self-custodial great, um, have those sort of exit rails, have, um, you know, uh, fallback plans have, you know, control your own custody, you know, don't upload your keys to a server in the EU where the police can, <laughs> where the police can swipe them, you know, like, the, I mean, the recent FinCEN, you know, proposals, like, I mean, if, if you're not bullish, investing more into self-custodial usage um, is, is, is the top priority, like trying to, try, I mean, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of Bitcoin flaws when it comes to privacy, some of the on-chain usage, lightning privacy can be a whole lot better. Like, there's no arguing that, but it's a hell of a lot better than being outside, than, be, than being inside the banking system. Um, so, you know, when, when they, when they come knocking on all of the doors, you know, who are the first that they're going to be knocking on, you know, basically. So, um, and, and then if there's not any way to have this exit strategy, if there's not any way to have self-custodial usage, um, then, you know, there's almost no point, uh, to Bitcoin uh, besides a speculative asset. In my mind, Bitcoin's the only thing that we can do, or I feel like it's in my power to keep my privacy and, you know, my autonomy, you know, I mean, I live in DC, um, you know, like we have people try and break into our homes. So we have to have like security and monitoring systems, which also collect a bunch of data on us. And it's just like a never ending, like spider web of like trying to maintain privacy while still like engaging in the real world. And for me, like the only thing that gives me hope that actually makes me feel like I have some control over who I am as an individual in society is like the fact that I have control over my Bitcoin and my spending power. And maybe I can't spend it everywhere now, but um, you know, in a future that could be beautiful, um, Bitcoin will be spent and then a future that could be really scary. Um, it makes me feel safe knowing that like I have Bitcoin and, you know, can kind of operate outside of, um, a very controlled realm. I know that's also very negative as well. We're like, we, we definitely sound like doomsday preppers here, guys, but that's okay. I will say this, you know, and, and Graham, I don't know, you want to just chime in uh, real quick as well? Before I mean, I... yeah, I, I was going to give my take on it and I, I, it's, it's a challenging topic to not get kind of dystopian on. Um, but uh, I think there's like, so there's two, there's like the enforcement, which is, I agree with what Alex said on like bank secrecy act and all these things. And there's also like the technology on what, what benefits can the technology provide for preserving privacy, for allowing for easier self-custodial like aspects and all those things. And I think that that's and also a big part that a lot of people could probably get involved in. I mean, some of it's, you know, protocol development is like, you know, it's a, it's a thing that not everyone is cut out for, but I think if we can um, focus as a community on building things in the best way to preserve the values of Bitcoin and lightning, that's going to be our best way to control our own, you know, destiny as far as privacy and, and anonymity go. Um, so really, you know, if, if the protocol itself doesn't support what you want from a privacy perspective, well, then there's, 
you know, the, everything above that is obviously able to kind of see all of the same things. So we need to build it at this lower level, which is the protocol to enable us to do, you know, privacy preserving um, things. And so uh, I think that there's the, which maybe doesn't change the enforcement at all. Maybe they're going to still try and do the same things, which is a very um, unfortunate reality we've seen with like the tornado cash stuff. Um, but at the end of the day, I think that, you know, there's a separation between the enforcement and the protocol. And I think if, if we don't focus on doing the best that we can on the protocol level, everything else is no, there's no, no, there's no point. They can do whatever they want. Yeah. And, um, maybe I'll take the other side of this and that I am, uh, not a doomsday person. I'm actually like very hopeful about like what can happen with Bitcoin and, and lightning uh, in the United States and regulatory environment, all that stuff. Um, I think like the way that I look at it is that th there's a, a talk that Andreas Antonopoulos, who is a Bitcoin and crypto educator, uh, gave where he talked about how uh, banks have been deputized by the government to carry out its will. And it's not just banks, you know, there's a whole bunch of financial and other intermediaries that carry out enforcement and carry out all these things that there's just not the manpower and resources to do otherwise. And so when I look at it from that perspective, I'm actually a little bit of an accelerationist of like, let's get lightning as big as possible, as fast as possible. And like, essentially get as many eyes on it as possible. So we can be solving the, the what I think is the number one issue, which is like non-custodial support has to be like as extraordinary as it can possibly be. Because when I look at, you know, kind of like what's the red line between, um, you know, if you're just like a technology provider and, and this is not legal or regulatory or any other kind of advice, obviously. But when I think about red lines, like potential be drawn of like, where are you a financial service provider? Where are you a technology provider? Like what are the risk assumptions that, that you give to users? A lot of that comes down to custody. A lot of that comes down to trust. A lot of that comes down to like this, this customer relationship, right? Versus you're giving somebody a view into the blockchain. And again, just my personal view. Um, but I think it's incredibly important that, you know, for, for Lightning especially, but also every other ecosystem that, uh, non-custodial support is as good as it can possibly be, as decentralized as it can possibly be, as easy as it can possibly be. And I think like once you get there, it's not that regulations and governments and things will go away, like they, they will not. And I think there's a lot of good regulations that can, that can come, right? But the idea being, how do you end up in a place that is healthy? And so that like, if you have law enforcement that wants to go and, and do his job and catch a criminal, like they still have the ability to do that. But like, you, you know, that doesn't mean that everybody's now under a constant surveillance re regime all the time, even when, you know, it's not warranted and it's not really, not really compliant with the constitution. Right. So I think that we can get there. I'm very hopeful. And I think non-custodial support is the number one thing that, that gets us there. You know, listening to all of you, I'm more hopeful too. You know, I've, uh, I have um, grown up in the traditional financial services industry and watched uh, watched its centralization, even uh, the regional banking system. When I started in the business, there were probably 25 to 30,000 regional banks throughout the United States. Now there are 4,000 and a lot of them are going to fail because of bad monetary policy. And I've also watched Washington or government become more centralized. And I think uh, the movement that this generation has started is against that, you know, it's in our DNA. And, uh, and so, yeah, I agree on the, you know, getting the message out to the regulators. We're certainly trying to do that, uh, ARCAS, in terms of the papers that we write and, you know, all of the webinars that we do. But I, I, I actually have a lot of hope because I think this movement sprung out, out of 
0809, massive distrust in the centralization. I think one of the things from a political thing, from a politics point of view that could happen is let's decentralize Washington, take all the departments and some presidential candidate has, has suggested this, you know, get Washington, decentralize all of those departments, put them in, you know, Idaho and, and Georgia and everything and get back to those roots as well. So that conversation actually has started. So um, I'm very hopeful. Let's go. Uh, I'll, I'll take the bullish side as well, but from the bot and to echo a little bit of Kathy's point from the bottoms up, what we're seeing on the grassroots, uh, especially on the Bitcoin movement, how many local meetups that are being organized in these small towns, big towns, and so on. And then the folks like you guys, like, and not to give Tony another shout out, but build the products and services that you would want to use. You know, like finally there's a, not, I shouldn't say finally, there's a really good, easy to use self-custodial lightning wallet app that even I can use every single day. So like I, I like dumb it down to my level that I can actually use every single day. Um, and I, I, I am so bullish on the next five to 10 years of even the next layer and next generation of all of those different applications, companies, services. I mean, Graham, we didn't even touch on the number of merchants, you know, building in the space on top of voltage that just never even thought about Bitcoin. So um, class half full uh, for sure. And because of the folks like you guys building. Something that I really appreciate here is if you looked at, you know, what Desert has been saying, what Graham's been saying, what Tony's been saying, and Alex as well, it's like you have this like very global footprint around users and engagement and, and businesses and all that stuff, which is incredible. And there's actually like a deeper point here, which is that if you look at like history, right? And you look at, you know, 1700s, 1800s, whatever, right? The people that were in power in America had very different ideals and goals and desires from like who was in power in Europe or Asia or whatever it is. Like this is the first time in history that there is a community of people that is truly global that shares the same values of like what's important to them. And so when you talk about like, these are the people that are building businesses, these are the people that are, you know, engaging with communities and engaging with politicians. And it's happening all over the world at the same exact time. That's never happened before. And so we have like this incredible, and you know, thanks to a lot of the work of the folks in this room. So we have like a really incredible opportunity to change not just like local culture or like the culture of our country, but the culture of the entire planet all in one big wave. And like, that's an incredible opportunity. Well said, Victor. Uh, Yassine, my friend, we're, we're, we're running up now on our, our time. This has been amazing. I, any thoughts? Uh, I've enjoyed this conversation a, a lot. I, I'd say maybe my, my wrapping thoughts, Alex, you mentioned we need a cultural shift. I think the the cultural shift is exactly what Victor pointed out. It's going to mean just building and creating these unstoppable tools. You know, when you think about Bitcoin, Bitcoin is actually that the perfect example of why we can be optimistic. It's like Bank Secrecy Act was was started in 1970. Bitcoin doesn't doesn't really care, <laughs> and and so I think if you continue to have sort of the the ethos of look, let's just create these tools that are unstoppable, that are out in the wild. If you were to ask a regulator, you know, uh, maybe in 2008, what Bitcoin might look like 10 years from now, they would have been like, we need to stop this at all costs. And the cat's out of the bag and there's nothing that they can do. I think if we continue to sort of adopt that mindset of I'm going to keep building 
and I'm going to throw it in the in the wild and let people let let the market decide for themselves. Then you know there's uh, there's no there's no there's no way that you can't be optimistic. Uh, um, that's the first thing. And then maybe I'll wrap by saying you know we are arguably in if if not a bear market, a choppy market. Um, and yet I see in each and every one of you so much passion and enthusiasm. Uh, we didn't talk about price once, which I love as well. Uh, and so when you kind of just think about, and this is why we do this, is people are building, they are aligned, they are focused, and you know they, they want to make kind of the world a better place. And that sounds quite cliche, but I, I, can, I can see it in just the way that you talk about about it and and it makes me kind of really excited um and uh and i think the future is really bright so really appreciate you all joining um i'm sure that you will be joining um you know sometime in the near future as well uh this is a, a rotating guests and uh and each and every one of you have been uh, super insightful so thank you guys uh very much absolutely thank you everybody ARC believes that the information presented is accurate and was obtained from sources that ARC believes to be reliable. However, ARC does not guarantee the accuracy or completeness of any information, and such information may be subject to change without notice from ARC. Historical results are not indications of future results. Certain of the statements contained in this podcast may be statements of future expectations and other forward-looking statements that are based on ARC's current views and assumptions, and involve known and unknown risks and uncertainties that could cause actual results, performance, or events to differ materially from those expressed or implied in such statements.